With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. Yes, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a very special edition of Between the Links. We have arrived at the finale of the prestigious BTL Championship Tournament. And it is not the matchup you expected to happen, but more on that in a moment. But in the next hour, 75 minutes or so, we will have an undisputed BTL champion. It's taken many weeks, many closely contested matchups to get here, but we have now arrived. So let us introduce one of the competitors before I discuss the change to the matchup. He has dressed the part for the most part. He actually sort of inspired this ensemble, the Mr. Feeney sweater vest, because I didn't want to outdress him. But it turns out I overdressed for the occasion. But in all in all honesty, he has brought the heat, and any kind of gray area was uh, was vanquished throughout this impressive run through this tournament. He holds the most victories in the history of the show, and he's hoping that at the end of all of this, he will take his place as champion once again. From MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jed Mishu. Jed, how are you, sir? You're looking uh, I don't know, I'm not as terrible uh, as normal. <laughs> I'm doing terrible. There's a reason I'm dressed down because I'm I'm punching down this week. Like I know it's for the belt, but come on, you guys could have just given me the title at this point. AK Lee, man has twice as many losses, maybe three times as many losses, and most of those already came to me. I don't even know what I'm doing here, and so I didn't need to put on a suit. I didn't need to dress up. I didn't need to dress for success. I just have to show up. And I'm going to wax this dude. He's got nothing for me. I don't even know. I don't know what we're doing here, Mike. I don't know. I've been waiting, been patiently waiting, and this is what happens. I shouldn't be wearing a shirt at all. I shouldn't be wearing anything because this is nonsense. 
Well, as, as most of you know, Phoenix Carnivale, the undefeated competitor, was supposed to be on the other end of this virtual cage, but life happened. She got herself a big-time gig in the fitness industry, and with that, she is unable to compete this week. However, there was an emergency meeting of the BTL Championship Committee, and whenever she is ready to roll, she will be right back in there to jump the line to a title shot. But we had a call on Audible, and there was only one person we could call, a man who... Many believed actually beat Phoenix in the semifinals. In fact, even Phoenix herself thought she was beaten by this man. The judge ruled differently, but looking to play spoiler, looking to be a Cinderella story, looking to shake up the very foundation of BTL as we know it. The Prince of Positivity, the co-host of the MA Fighting Ranking Show, the co-host of On to the Next One, Mr. Alexander K. Lee. Hello, sir. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Uh, you know, first of all, I think everyone should thank Venus Carnivale for doing the right thing and stepping out of the way because she knew as great a competitor as she is with all of the respect in the world to her, she knew that I won that matchup. I'm, I deserve to be here. When I, when I claim this title, of course, as you said, Mike, she will be welcome to come challenge for it. And, and I can I look very much look forward to our rematch. Uh, Chad, I'm, I'm glad to see that he put as much effort into preparing for today's show as he does uh, into doing his rankings every month. So, uh, you know, that's good. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not worried at all about today's show. This today is my day. Uh, I don't think I've beaten Jed before. Uh, I may have come close in the past. Today's the day where I make it over the hump. And uh, he reeks of weakness. I mean, we all see it. I know it's a cruel thing to say. He reeks of weakness. And while I wish I was getting the best version of Jed Mishu, whatever whatever that means, uh, I'll take a win over this husk that is uh, on screen with me right now. Weakness? Come on now. You're the, you're the man who I kept up all week long with my new rankings. You're tired. You're coming into this not off, not off a good training camp. You're beat down. I didn't need to go the underhanded route, but I did anyway, because that's what champions do. You play to win the game, even when your opponent shouldn't be standing across the digital arena from you. You know that you wish you were facing Phoenix right now. You, I you wanted, You wanted that, yeah, because you know that I'm the tougher competition. You no, know that she, I, I get it, she's the bigger name. She's, she's the bigger name. I'm the one who should have been in the finals. Thank goodness I am. You have, I have, you have nothing to gain from this except, except whatever this, 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 you know, this trophy, which is wonderful. But I mean, look, we all know it's a belt. Phoenix is the one. Well, when I get sent the belt, I'll let you know if it's a belt or not. But Phoenix is probably people think Phoenix is the one to beat. Uh, I'll, I'm here to correct people. It's definitely going to be me. Like I said, though, I'll face her when the time comes. But I, I, I I'm, I'm focused on on uh, dethroning this guy right now. All right. Well, I like the, the fire already. We haven't even asked a question yet, and uh, things are getting heated, so this is good. So let's get into this thing and do what we're supposed to do. Let's discuss the continuation of a fiery feud between UFC President Dana White and Jake Paul, who a few weeks back knocked out former UFC welterweight champion Tyron Woodley in Tampa, Florida. It began with Dana making a challenge to Jake Paul, saying essentially – Dude, you think I'm a cokehead? I'll let you test me for cocaine for the next decade if I could test you for steroids for the next two years. And Paul makes a challenge of his own, saying that I will retire from boxing to fight Jorge Mazadal inside the UFC's octagon if Dana will pay his fighters better, give them a better share of the revenue pie. White responds by saying, hey, you didn't answer my question. Your manager's a scumbag who used to work for me. You can't sell pay-per-view. My guys are bigger pay-per-view stars than you'll ever be. 
Paul responded with a fun little retort video and on and on it goes. So AK, let's begin with you. What have you made of this recent tete-a-tete back and forth between Dana White and Jake Paul? I mean, look, it's, it's, I mean, depending who you ask, it's, it's entertaining. Uh, there's certainly a large segment of the MMA fan base that is not amused by it at all. Uh, if anything, they, they despise the amount of tension that uh, those of us in the media have given this, this particular feud. But look, it's uh, for anyone to deny that it's not a relevant story, that it's not relevant to MMA, to combat sports. I mean, that's just naive. Yeah, I get it. You'd rather hear about, uh, Oh, so you want, you'd rather hear some breaking news about some undercard matchup between two top 35 flyweights. And that's fine. I, I, I respect that. But as far as what everyone's talking about and something that could have actual implications on the business, I mean, how can you not, how can you not be focused on Dana White and Jake Paul? Now, I, I don't know if, if I'm telling people that they have to view this sort of exchange that exists in a positive light. I mean, how do you define something positive coming out of this? I mean, I don't think, at the end of the day, I don't think this is going to change much for people. Uh, UFC fighters specifically, I think, is, is who I'm referring to. I, I know we all we you know we like the fact that Jake Paul is sort of this disruptor. He's this mainstream figure. He doesn't answer to Dana White. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything to lose by stepping to Dana White. Uh, and it's and it's great that he's bringing up him and his his manager Nikisa are bringing up these things about uh, the fighter pay and equity and all that, but. Uh, Dana White, whether his responses are, you know, uh, on the level, the same level as Jake Paul's or not, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to do anything. He's not going to change. He's not going to change the the entire UFC pay structure. He's not the guy who makes those decisions anyway, to be frank. Let's, let's be honest. He, he is the one going into Jake Paul. He's not the one who signs all the checks. He's not the one who decides, oh, what do the lower rank paid guys, what, what's the, what does the salary become? He is the president, yes, but he's, he's also a figurehead. He's very good at being a figurehead, at least as far as when it comes to taking uh, slack from us in the media, taking slack from the fans, taking slack from people like Jake Paul. So it's, it's cool. It's cool to talk about. I, I want to, Mike, I want to say that it's this great, you know, this indicates this big sea change is going to happen again with someone with a, such, a, such a great sphere of influence as Jake Paul, uh, you know, getting himself into Dana White and the UFC and MMA's business. But I think for now, it's just entertainment. Um, and, and, and again, as much as, as much as we'd like to believe that, you know, him responding to this YouTuber's taunt, it, it means something. It, it really doesn't, even if that, that YouTuber is, uh, is Jake Paul. Jed, what is what has been your biggest takeaway from this battle of wits, if you will? My biggest takeaway is I'm going to absolutely murder AK if that weak shit's what he's bringing to this thing. Like that was a lot of couching and a lot of ooh, uh, I don't like. Come on, man. One, nobody thinks that this is going to do anything, so we could just say that outright. Like, there's not a person of rational thought in the world that truly thinks this is going to make a damn bit of difference. I will quibble with AK's curious assessment that Dana White is a figurehead who couldn't do this if he wanted to like that dude, he could totally just go run amok and be like, all right, Jake Paul, I will answer all your things, but he's not going to, cause he's not an idiot. Like, and that's, that's just the thing. Like I don't like Dana White. You don't like Dana White. I'm not, not you, Mike or AK even, but the Royal, you people uh, who are focused in this sport and actually care about the fighters think that Dana White has outlived his usefulness a long time ago. But he is not an idiot specifically in the business of making money from this sport. And the way that they, that the UFC and that Endeavor make money is by woefully underpaying their contractors, quote unquote. Like that's 20%. That's the revenue estimates. That's their own revenue estimates just so anyone not 
anyone who's unclear, that is what the UFC projects to pay somewhere between 15 and 22 percent uh, of overall revenue to the fighters, which is grossly lower than what the expectation should be. And they do that because they've got a huge overhead from the WME acquisition and they got to pay that off somehow. And all that extra money goes not to the fighters, to the people with with the purse strings. So nothing's going to happen of this. This is this is a pound for pound debate, right? Like this is something that we can talk about that, you know, draws interest and gets people going, but is ultimately fruitless, but great for clicks. So tremendous that way. And the one benefit I see here is I do think there's some level of a totality of the circumstances at play. Like the media has been hammering on Dana White for years about this. And Jake Paul is now doing this. I don't think Jake Paul is directly going to lead to anything, but he is getting, uh, the idea of what is happening out to a broader audience than it has ever been uh, given to before. And those kind of things stack up on top of each other. So Jake Paul isn't going to be the dude, but you know the next guy does it and more people come, come to this and more people get on board. And eventually the forces that be kind of have to cave to uh, overwhelming external pressure. Jake Paul isn't going to bring it himself, but he's just another another straw on the camel's back that is slowly building up over time now as both of you mentioned what continues to come from these sorts of things between these two guys we're shining a light on fighter pay in the ufc right jake paul continues to bring this topic up and for whatever goal he has of this all it gets people talking about it right we're talking about it right now fighters are talking about it constantly on different shows like if you have a serious xm show and you are a fighter you are talking about this and you are weighing in you're either on one side or the other some fighters think, Jed, that Jake is doing this for clout. Others think he's actually being genuine about it. Anthony Smith, I believe a morning report, maybe even as today or yesterday, was about Anthony Smith saying this guy genuinely cares about the fighters. He's actually paid money out of his own pocket. Sarah Alpar donated to her GoFundMe. Do you think that Jake Paul actually cares about UFC fighter pay, or is this just one of these things to Dana, just poking him in the shoulder over and over again until he snaps? It's a little of column A, a little of column B, right? Like, I I don't think much of Jake Paul as an individual. Um, there are a lot of things in his past and recent present um, that give one pause. But I think that Jake Paul as a promoter, uh, from what we've told him, what we've been told and what we know, has proven to be better than many in this respect as far as taking advantage of fighters, paying fighters. Um, he's early into the game, and so maybe that changes over time. But kind of what he's done thus far in that regard has been pretty positive uh, at the minimum. But to act to, to believe that this is a, a purely altruistic move would be naive beyond credulity, right? Like that's he's getting something from this, and one he's getting a ton of publicity. Um, his name is staying. I mean, he came after the second Woodley fight. He came out and was like, "I'm going to take some time off." Um, because he had a really busy year, wanted to take some time off and a great way to not do anything and yet remain in the news cycle, remain relevant is to poke Dana White like this. And for him, this is just, it's all good PR. I mean, this is an easy win. And that's why Dana engaging in this, there is maybe an argument that him doing it is beneficial for him as well, because no publicity is bad publicity. I I think that's probably just not true because he comes off so poorly because he can't win the dozens against Jake Paul. Jake Paul is built for this kind of verbal social media combat. And on top of it, 
Jake Paul has all the facts in his corner. Like Dana White has nothing that he can do, which is why he comes out with, hey, Jake, why didn't you answer my question? Despite the fact that Jake actually did answer his question by by uh, suggesting he enrolled in USADA and compete in the UFC, he would be steroid tested. That was like the one big thing from Dana. So instead he just has to go back to his schoolyard. Well, you're your manager's a crook, even though he was the CFO of the UFC. <laughs> like he just sucks at this game and he can't play it, but he does. So to me, this is just nothing but easy wins for Jake Paul. He, he can sit and party and drink and do whatever he's doing and spend 10 minutes to compose a tweet to get all of the good press in the world. And yeah, this is, it's, it's both. He, he may want to help the fighters. I choose to believe that to some extent he does, but the primary driver is still going to be that this is a low cost and a high ceiling for him from a, from a marketing standpoint, from a promotional standpoint. AK, what do you think? Do you think it's more column A, more column B? Like Jed said, somewhere right in the middle. Like, does he actually care if UFC fighters get a bigger piece of the pie, do you think? I mean, it's hard to put yourself in his shoes yeah, but, I, or in his mindset. You know what I mean? I think on like a basic human level, he does care. Uh, I don't think he's like the, the worst person. I think like Jed said, though, I'm, I'm not a fan of Jake Paul personally. Uh, I think anything he's sort of doing in this feud is is incidentally good. I think he he and, and Nikisa have to know that, uh, as I kind of mentioned at the top, they, they are not going to be the ones who who bring this big change to the UFC. Um, so, and he knows that. He knows that. And yes, he's going to keep pushing it. Yes, he's going to keep this feud going as long as Dana White keeps responding to him. Um, uh, but but overall, I, I, it it is just about generating publicity for himself, keeping himself as as crazy as it sounds. One of the three top two biggest names in in combat sports right now maybe number one i'm probably underselling it uh but yeah but to do that you if you're not going to be uh, booking fights frequently which he's not at the moment you do have to find ways to, to poke various bears he's picked the biggest one of the biggest bears you can poke in the business right now and uh, so far it is going very well for him though one thing i'll, I'll argue though is that um what i was saying about dana white before that was kind of confused by jed which is not surprising he's very easily confused is that I don't think that like Dana White losing this feud uh, necessarily hurts the UFC. This is, this is the point I was trying to make was like, we can say all we want about Jake Paul making some great points. I mean, obviously doing way better videos than Dana White. Dana White is, this I agree with, is just terrible at this. Uh, but Dana White, him losing does not mean the UFC is losing. I mean, look, we just saw ES this today, this broke just before the show, you know, that ESPN is, is increasing the price of uh, uh, ESPN plus pay-per-views up to $75 USD now. Uh, so so business is just booming. It's just booming up and up and up and up for the UFC and ESPN. Dana White looking like a clown really doesn't hurt anyone that much except maybe Dana White. And he doesn't care. He's gotten into many, many feuds, which frankly, I think in the public eye, he's lost. And yet he and the UFC keep falling upwards. So if he's, I mean, if he really, if he like cares about like, I guess his public image a little bit, maybe stop feuding with Jake Paul. But I don't think he does. I think he wants to show like, oh, I'm not afraid of this kid, uh, even though he keeps clowning himself. But, but while those of us in the media and again, some really, you know, some sharper fans can see what's going on here with him and Jake Paul, the general populace still is like, loves Dana White. Dana White's the man. Uh, they love that he's he's whatever whatever comeback he had for Jake Paul is. I mean, as silly as we think it is, they're behind it. So that, that's the only thing I disagree with is that like Dana White needs to in any way avoid this feud because I don't think he does. It, it is building up publicity for both of them, but I mean, I, I don't think it's hurting the UFC at all. 
it's definitely it's definitely not helping the UFC. And I've I disagree with almost everything AK just ended with, so I'll keep it <laughs> as briefly as possible. It's certainly not helping the UFC because in what world does it help the UFC for them to be predatory business people? Like that's just not. And fans I don't view it that way, though. You you I wish fans recognized that, but they don't. No, but that's the th- that's the thing I'm about to get to here is like. I agree with you that Dana White doesn't care what his public image is because if he did, he would do literally none of the things that he has done his entire life. But he very clearly cares about what he feels inside and his ego. Uh, and more, but more importantly, all of the people that you say, yeah, they still love Dana White. He's the man. Those are the same type of bozos who are big Jake Paul people. And so when you're pitting those two, the, that inner fandom against each other and one of them is good at this and one of them sucks naturally the guy who sucks Dana White is going to drop off some I think this is just a net awful thing from him and it's just stupid Dana White has almost a billion dollars in the bank dude just grow up and stop caring what people think about you like it's just not that hard to click mute on Twitter and go about your day with 700 million dollars in the bank it's very easy Ah, well, I mean, we'll see what happens. And you know what's funny about this? If the UFC bumps bonuses to $75,000 or Dana White even like responds to Jake Paul and actually answers his questions, fans will be like, see what Jake Paul did? Jake will get the credit oh, yeah. for, for any can't. sort of movement. can't do any. That's the thing. Jake Paul is actually hurting the fighters because Dana White will die before he raises a <laughs> $1. Because doing so would be a Jake Paul win, and his ego will not allow that at this point. Like, that's just (laughs) the world that we live in. I'm sure 2022 will be very interesting between these two gentlemen. Let us move on. We will move ahead to our second topic. But the first point of this championship battle goes to... It goes to Jed Mishu, but I will say this... AK Lee is like the Piotr Jan of BTL. He gets better as as the rounds go and and as the game goes. He's a he's a slow starter, but he gets cooking right around this time. And so let's get to the title. Nice. <laughs> oh no. Uh, We're this close to crowning an NBA champ, and with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet, up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. 
That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. So let's let's talk about some non-Jake Paul UFC related stuff. I'm sure a lot of people are very happy about this, but uh, what is going on with Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz, gentlemen? Because Dustin Poirier is a guy that typically doesn't open the secret chest of news all that often, but this week on Teddy Atlas's podcast, he drops a bit of a nugget saying that he accepted a short notice fight with somebody and then eventually revealed it was Nate Diaz. And Diaz, who clearly seems to want this fight, said the UFC didn't want it. The UFC thinks Dustin sucks or whatever he tweeted. But our own Damon Martin confirmed from multiple sources that there was, in fact, some interest in putting this fight together. But the talk stopped pretty abruptly. So, Jed, let us begin with you. Both guys seem to want it. The UFC seemed to have some interest in it. It'd be a great addition to literally any card the UFC could put together. What's going on here, in your opinion? I mean, really hard to ever know what's going on uh, with a Nate Diaz fight. But my guess is it's probably the same thing that happens with every Nate Diaz fight, uh, which is Poirier signed the short notice agreement and Nate said, that's not enough money. (laughs) Give me more of that. And so when the UFC was like, no, then Nate was like, see the UFC. Nate did the Dana White thing where he wanted something that the other party didn't want to do. And uh, when they refused to do it, he was like, yeah, they obviously don't want to do it because they're not meeting my demands. So that's the best guess I have uh, unless because I I don't you know, I just don't think Nate Diaz is like a huge liar or whatever, where it's he is actually turning down a fight with Poirier. Uh, and pretending like he wants one that just doesn't really jive with my sort of view on who Nate Diaz is. So my guess is, yeah, pretty simply that the UFC wants to pay Nate either what his current contract states, uh, probably just what his current contract states, they can't realistically offer him any less. And Nate saying, nah, that's Dustin Poirier. That's the guy you gave Connor and who's a star now. I want more money. Uh, And so that's just the world we're living in. AK, there's a lot of trains of thought here uh obviously nate it's been very public this is the last fight on his deal so maybe the ufc is playing a little bit of hardball here they're not just gonna like let him go into a fight with dustin poirier on the last fight of his deal and then move on to other things but nate can be nate's a good businessman if he doesn't like what the terms are he's just not gonna fight and he's fine with that so why do you think this fight isn't being put together? Is there just not a spot for it? Is it Nate just saying, no, I want more money? Is the UFC playing hardball? What, what's your thought here? No, it's the money. No, it's the money. It's always the money. It always comes down to the money. Uh, I, I think, I think, yeah, Nate Diaz has made enough and has played this game long enough with the UFC that uh, he's going to try and wait him out. 
he's going to try and wait it out. Now, this works better for some fighters than others. Some fighters end up getting title shots uh, in these situations by waiting the UFC out. Some people end up getting the big fights they want. I guess that's what Nate Diaz is trying to do here. However, I don't love his chances of, of uh, for lack of a better word, avoiding uh, you know, a, a Dustin Poirier fight forever. I feel like this has to happen uh, at some point. It just makes too much sense for both guys. Uh, I think, uh, you know, one, the UFC would love to see Nate Diaz go out on a loss if this is going to be the last fight of his UFC contract. Probably, of course, they'd rather, like, feed him to, you know, Hamza Shemaev or some other up-and-coming welterweight that could, like, uh, you know, that would really, like, beat him in an un- uh, not necessarily entertaining way and that would send you know send him back and it's okay Nate, like happy trails go box whatever we've used we've squeezed every penny we can out of you uh go away so that's probably what they would rather want rather than giving him a poirier fight which i mean i'd heavily favor poirier but i mean diaz if there's a chance he won it would hurt one of their existing stars uh and again it's it's a, it's a it's a, it would it win or lose you feel like it wouldn't hurt either man's reputation too much so so I, I can understand sort of the trepidation uh, on the UFC's part, but I'm very bullish though on this on this fight uh, potentially happening and happening within the first six months of like 2022. I don't know why. I've just got maybe I'm just being too optimistic. Maybe I'm reading too much into the sort of their back and forth, you know, social media stuff. Like they're they're saying, oh, it's you know, Nate's being protesting against it so much that I feel like it's it's actually going to happen. It's going the other way, almost like a pro wrestling swerve. Like no, 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 I'm not doing it, and then. A week from now, you know, week two weeks from now, we see an announcement. Oh yeah, this is the the co-main, five round co-main non-title co-main event of UFC two seventy six or something. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I lost track of the numbers at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it's all coming down to the money. And I know Nate Diaz, and I, I think Nate Diaz can get more than he's been getting. But I think when they he finally signs the contract, it'll be for a lot less than he's hoping for. I feel like so far, Dustin Poirier is doing everything right here. He's saying the right things. He wants this fight. He's going public with it, saying he's accepted fights on other people's podcasts. And I think a lot of us were in agreement that the only way the UFC would put this fight together with the current contract state that Nate Diaz has is if Poirier is the ringleader. He's the guy that's really pushing for it. But the UFC, like both of you sort of talked about, they're not just going to give Nate Diaz a big fight quickly and just let him run off to fight Jake Paul or go somewhere else. They're going to try to keep Nate maybe on the shelf unless, you know, it's to pass the proverbial torch, like AK said, to Shamaya for a Sean Brady or a guy on the come up. So, AK, you you feel like you feel bullish, quote unquote, that within the next six months, this fight's going to happen. Why do you feel that way? Yeah, I, I think it's best again, not just for Nate Diaz, but we, we've talked like a, bu- a bunch about uh, Dustin Poirier, pro- you know, probably uh, trying his hand at 170, if uh, depending on how long he has to wait for uh, for another Conor McGregor fight. And if Conor McGregor, when he comes back from his injury, is still kind of, you know, even beating that drum, that's sort of like, I need one more shot with Dustin. You know, the last fight doesn't really count. I got injured. Uh, I mean, that seems makes sense now. Three or four months from now, who knows where Conor McGregor is at mentally? Maybe again, he see, he sees. Maybe he does go after Charles Oliveira. Maybe he goes back up to 170 for some for some fight. Maybe he wants to fight Nate Diaz. I don't know. But uh, but right now, I think I think a good option does Poirier is to try his hand at welterweight. And why not Nate Diaz? Why not that be your first fight at 170? So for for his side, I think you're right. He said all the right things. I think he's made it pretty clear that's the matchup he wants. So, so having one side of it down, I think is pretty good. I, I, it doesn't certainly doesn't guarantee anything. I think we've seen a lot of potential matchups throughout combat sports history have one side locked in and the other side 
never actually come around. But I think that's different. I think Nate has a lot of respect for Justin Poirier. Um, I know he talks a lot of junk on social media, but how he represents himself on Twitter, I think, is probably very different than how he feels about Poirier, a guy who he stands and bangs, exciting fighter, goes to finish fights. Uh, it, it's just such a logical matchup for him. It'd be so so much fun. I mean, you're probably getting a performance uh, fight of the night bonus, which I'm sure he'd love. Hopefully, it's up to 75k as we discussed earlier. But uh, and uh, and again, I don't think Nate cares if he wins or loses or not. Uh, and, and if he lost a decision to Poria, uh, he wouldn't count it as a loss anyway. So Nate just wants to get that last fight of his contract done so he can move on. And like I said, he, he can wait it out. But for every month that he doesn't sign to fight Poirier or someone else, that takes away from whatever his goals are afterward, whether it be boxing, whether to do MMA, you know, form his own MMA promotion with his brother. I don't know. He's going to have to fight eventually. And I, I just think Poirier is such a great option uh, for him. And I think the UFC will see it that way as well. I think I think I know they, they want to have their own agenda regarding both fighters, but there's money to be made there. So just make it and then, you know, let Diaz go. Jed, one take that I continuously see that I know you've seen as well, and I just I could not disagree with it more, is that Nate's not going to fight anybody unless it's Connor. He's going to wait for that trilogy fight with Connor and do it in the octagon. I literally could not disagree with that sentiment anymore <laughs> if I tried. It just doesn't make any sense because one, Nate is a money fighter in his own right. He makes bank no matter who he fights. And two, I'm sure you're going to touch on it, so I won't steal the shine. So you can touch on that if you'd like, but... In your heart of hearts, do you feel like, let's say by June, July, are we going to see Dustin Poirier fight Nate Diaz or at least have that fight on the books? My guess is, yeah. Uh, look, it's hard to get into the mind of Nate Diaz, like I said at the start, and it's difficult to even want to try because if I'm him or if I am in his corner, you know, if I'm one of his guys, would be like, Nate, just say yes to whoever. It does not matter who they present you. Just say yes and get the out of this contract. Like that's it. That's you have so many other opportunities available for you as soon as you leave the UFC. Just say yes. And so, like, even if it's Hamza Chimaev, legitimately, maybe the most DS thing ever that would be incredible, and I've been secretly hoping for this the entire time, is that he says, Screw it, I'll bang with Chimaev. He gets in there, he immediately walks across the cage taps on the mat three times and scoops it up and is like, there's your last fight, Dana. Now I'm gone. Jake Paul, where are you at? Like, doesn't even fight him. Just like, nope, I'm out. I did my, fulfilled my obligation. Now I'm going to go because I want to go make real money boxing Jake Paul and then Logan Paul. And then after both of those, when Connor's finally got out of his contract two fights from now, me and Connor are finally going to do our trilogy then outside of the UFC. So the UFC isn't getting the lion's share of that money. Me and Connor are making that money because that will sell the same pay-per-views, whether we box, whether we fight in a cage, whether we fight on the street. So like if I'm him, I would just get out of it. Go as fast as you can to make more money elsewhere. That's not Nate. I don't know what Nate's holdup is, what's going on. The UFC contractually has to – they cannot shelve him forever. They have to offer him fights. And if, as reports are saying, there's interest in the Poirier fight, uh, then my guess is that that's what happens. Uh, because, again, also from the other side of it, Poirier didn't have anybody else to fight. Like he wants to fight Connor and he doesn't want to fight anybody else because why would he? There's nobody else that's really a, a good a good matchup for him at this point uh, from a star standpoint. So – Low-hanging fruit is that this fight gets made after they jerk each other around for a really long time, the same way that Conor Poirier finally got made after months of them talking about 
doing their own thing uh, on Twitter. It's just going to take a little time. Yeah, I mean, well, hopefully this gets resolved. This fight makes all the sense in the world for both guys. And Dustin Poirier, like I said, and, and I'll say it again, I feel like he's the man that can make this happen because why make it about losing one fighter to go off to, to greener pastures when you have a second fighter who's a star in Dustin Poirier who could just play hardball as well and say, I ain't fighting anybody unless I'm fighting Nate. I'll sit on the sidelines. I made so much money last year. I don't care. Just keep pushing my contract back six months. Who gives a shit? But yeah, obviously there's the Connor fight he could take too, but why not why not get two big money fights out of Dustin Poirier before he rides off into the sunset? Because he's made it pretty clear he ain't sticking around that much longer. He just wants big money fights and he's out. So why would he stick around much longer? He can look at Nate and Connor imminently going to exit DOC to go box and make a lot of money and be like, hell, I'm I'm right in that neighborhood. I'm I'm below them from star power, but Jake Paul would box my ass too. I'll go do that shit. <laughs> so much money to be made. And I've said this a bunch of times. The combat sports landscape in the next two or three years is going to be really interesting. But uh, let us move on. The point for round two goes to... Close round, but it goes to Mr. No Mercy, Alexander K. Lee. It is one to one. As we cue the victory music, let us head to round number three. So yesterday, we got some very big news, gentlemen. A lot of people are wondering what could be in store for us in March at UFC 272. We hadn't heard anything. No main event, no nothing when when there's fights being booked all the way to April. That changed last night. We confirmed what Dana White told ESPN. There are two big title fights that are in the works for UFC 272. Agreements are in place. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway 3 for the featherweight title. Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan 2 for the bantamweight title. We get to settle two of our big rankings debates on the same night, potentially. How about that? But personally, this one-two punch scratches me right where I itch. This is high-level stuff. This would be the main co-main combo. I would tell casual fans or fans on the fence of whether or not to watch MMA on the regular to watch these fights and you might become a fan more than even a Connor fight at this point, but I'm very high on both of these fights. AK are you as in on these fights as I am? Yeah, I lo- look, I love both rematches. Uh, both of them we felt had to happen sometime. There's, there's been a longer build. I, th- I think for the, uh, you know, the third uh, Volkanovsky Holloway meeting, it's kind of funny because you could have had them, you know, fight each other again after the, if, if there's, you know, after that second fight, if they hadn't fought the first time, like that second fight really warranted an immediate rematch, uh, not the first fight uh, that Volkanovski uh, uh, clearly won over Max Holloway. Um, but uh, again, I guess because of, you know, the, the strength of Holloway's record, they had to fight again. Then he got the closer uh, Holloway, excuse me, got the closer loss should have gotten another shot right away but at least he fought his way back so so we've got that one and at the same time how can you deny the intrigue of friggin the the sterling yan matchup which had one of the most macabre and darkly hilarious endings to a a high profile championship fight ever i mean i, I think most of us would have said that yan was winning that fight uh, certainly two out of the three judges had it i believe had a 29 28 yan heading into that very unfortunate fourth round for Jan where he lands the illegal blow. So uh, it's gr- that would have been a cool one to see right away too. It's actually almost better that we got to see Jan fight again in between and have that awesome performance against Corey Sanhagen. So, and it might explain why uh, Jan, who I think would have been favored in a, a rematch with Sterling anyway, is even more heavily favored. I think uh, on... 
the odds that we had on our site as of today, uh, minus 310 favorite for Jan. So I'm, I'm super high on both fights. Uh, very cool that they got to put them both on the same card. I think it would, I think there's, there's uh, positives to splitting them up. I think there's positives to having the same card, but having on the same card, definitely super exciting. So uh, yeah, UFC, UFC 272, really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I, I love both fights. I'm glad they eventually got made. I was a little worried that the Sterling one, you know, we didn't know when he was going to come back what the t- what the situation would be there at bantamweight but it's such a deep division i'd love to have some clarity at the top so we're gonna get that and depending what happens with holloway and volkanovsky could get some clarity there too but that one's a little a little murkier but yeah both great rematches what do you think jed what are, what are your thoughts on this one-two punch when you found out about it i mean they are the fights to make in two of the best divisions in the sport uh simply put i mean 135, 145 are right up there near the top of the best division in the sport. Sorry, Casey, it's still lightweight. It will always be lightweight that is the best. But (laughs) anything from 170 to 135, the fights that happen there are bangers. And the top 50 dudes in those divisions are substantially better than the top, like, 30 dudes in other divisions. So um, at featherweight, uh, I think that's – that is not – I am more interested in the bantamweight fight uh, because the Volkanovsky-Holloway we've seen twice. And despite the fact that those fights were pretty different uh, from from one to two, uh, I think the overarching story, the narrative of those fights is pretty clear to me that Alexander Volkanovsky is uh, better than Max Holloway pretty simply. Um, uh, you know, in that first fight, he won very cleanly to me. In that second fight – um, the fight was very close, but Holloway made wholesale changes between the two fights, which is a credit to him that he identified weaknesses, created, built a new game plan, and enacted it and was having a lot of success. But the problem is Volkanovski, in the middle of that fight, figured out what Holloway had done and adjusted and then was winning at the end. Whether you think Holloway won the fight or not, I think that that second fight is pretty clear. The middle round was the swing round. Early two were Holloway back to revolt so to me that kind of tells me all that i need to know about that about that matchup whereas they are both really really good max holloway is the second best featherweight unquestionably and will be competitive against volkanovsky but if they fight a hundred times on average volk's going to win more of them he can make more just adjustments he can build his game to combat max more effectively than than the reverse there so I will watch that fight a hundred times and I'm always excited because it is the highest level of MMA we get. But uh, there is a part of me that's less interested because I feel like I know what I'm going to see, even if maybe exactly what I see or the texture of it is slightly different with Bantamweight totally different. Um, whereas I think there's a large belief that Piotr Jan is going to whoop up on Aljamain Sterling because he was on his way to winning that fight against Aljo before he blatantly cheated um, and lost because that's what he did. I want to be extremely clear to everyone watching. That was a deserved <laughs> loss for Piotr Jan. He stood over top of Aljamain Sterling, who was on his knees for seven full seconds, punched him six times in the head, and then said, screw it, now I'm going to knee you. Like, that's cheating flat out. Ain't nothing about it. Um, but they fight again. Maybe he won't do that. We'll see. I mean, you know, he, he always could. But I am really interested in that fight for a variety of reasons because I don't know what's going to happen. Part of me does think that Piotr Jan's ability to, as you alluded to earlier, start slow, build, get stronger, um, and kind of be that snowball rolling downhill is really difficult for anyone to win a five-round fight over him. Um, But Aljamain Sterling, I thought, 
fought horribly in their first fight. And by that, I mean he came out and just tried to immediately match pace with Piotr Jan, which he can't do, and he gassed out. And I think he learned a lesson from that fight because it's impossible for me to think he viewed what happened and is like, I should just do that, but better. I think he's going to have a much better game plan. He's going to work with range a lot more. He's going to take advantage of, of Sterling's slow starts uh, and still be more competitive deeper into the fight. I'm really interested to see exactly how it shakes out. Um, if Sterling can make grappling more part of this fight, uh, I just, I'm really fascinated by that bout. So to me, that's the one I'm by far the most excited about. AK, which which one of these fights intrigues you the most? Like if you could only watch one and you can't know the result of the other for like a week, wow. which one are you picking? Man, I, I I agree that I need to see that resolution, you know, between Sterling and Jan. Uh, and the only thing that would be funnier than what happened last time would be Sterling getting like a quick like – I mean, any Sterling win, any definitive Sterling win would just be hilarious uh, and, and so unsatisfying oh, no, for Jan and his fans, of course. Sterling but. getting a DQ knee, KO, like... Sterling, the other way around? Yeah, Sterling <laughs> illegally KOing Piotr Jan would oh, be and, the funniest. And, and not, but, and not but, but getting away with it. But getting away with it would be funny. Oh, like getting away with it would be blow, better. Oh, yeah, there's some technicality. It was, yeah, that would be even more hilarious. But uh, no, I actually am leaning towards uh, the Volkanovsky Holloway trilogy. And, and I have to word this very carefully because I, I think people should know I'm such a advocate for Volkanovsky, I think, being undisputed the number one guy at 145. I, uh, if anyone's seen our voting, uh, we have a couple of people on the panel who have kept Holloway up there. That's fine, whatever. I'm a Volk. I'm a Volk fan. I think the second fight was not a robbery. Super close. Very strong arguments you made for Holloway winning, but also very clear arguments you made for Volkanovski winning. So I, I, I think Volkanovski is number one. I don't think the second fight was a robbery. I thought it was. I think he's 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 a very legitimate two and zero up on Holloway. But but I am very aware of the ch- of how close that fight was, the chatter surrounding that fight, the chatter that has persisted since that fight happened. I think the close call against Ortega, I think even that, even though Volkanovski dominated the majority of that fight, st- kept those questions alive. You know, it, it, because because when Holloway was the champ, well, he was so dominant. You know what I mean? And people don't have that feeling with Volkanovski. They feel he's so so uh, so vulnerable, and that's probably one of the reasons why people still view Max as the the champion at 145. So I'm leaning towards the trilogy because I do want Volkanovski to be able to put his stamp on it. Uh, not not that again in the eyes of some of us he doesn't need to, but clearly. I, I think it's fair to say the majority do need to see him get a one more uh, definitive win over Holly, whether it be by knockout, whether it be, you know, 49, 46, 50, 45 decisions, something like that. Is that possible? I don't know. That's why it's so great to see it again. Uh, they, they might always be close fights uh, from now on, now that they know each other so well. Um, and if Holloway wins, that's also intriguing because then he obviously stays at 145. There's a ton of great challenges in him. So it opens up this whole other new storyline. Volkanovski probably should, probably should get a rematch, but I don't think they'd give it to him. So there's there's all these narratives that can spring out of it. And, and if Holloway loses, he does he go to 155? Uh, does he stay at 145 and just knock off contenders? I don't think he'd be satisfied doing that, but it's certainly an option. So yeah, just based on wanting to see the fight again, Volkanovski, quote unquote, still having to prove something and all the storylines that could branch out of it, regardless of who wins, whether Volkanovski or Holloway. Uh, yeah, if I had to choose one to see first... It would be it would be a uh, Volkanovski Holloway three. Okay, very quickly, AK, true or false? In March, UFC two seventy two. This will be the last time either of these matchups take place in twenty twenty two. Oh, uh, false. 
Okay. Do I have to elaborate? Or just just want... Yeah, just quickly, quickly. Elaborate. I think. I think. It, I think if if Holloway wins, I think you have to give Volkanovski the fourth fight. So that so that to me, I guess that says I'm more confident in uh, in Holloway winning than I am in in uh, Aljamain Sterling. Well, I shouldn't. Well, Aljamain Sterling winning, but because I think if Jan wins, then you don't see the Aljamain Sterling the third Aljamain Sterling fight so soon, uh, and vice versa. Actually, I think if Sterling wins, I don't think he gives Jan an immediate rematch. So then. Depending how many, if you, unless you think these guys are defending three times a year, which is hopeful, but not everyone, that's not really regular for a UFC champion these days, um, then uh, then it won't happen this year. But Holloway and Volkanovski, yeah, there's that one outcome. Holloway winning in a decision, then I think he has to give Volkanovski another shot. And I think it happens within the next 10 months. Jay, do you think any chance we see either of these fights more than once this year? No. I. I mean, there's a chance. If Holloway wins, I agree, but I, I'm going to confidently pick Alexander Volkanovsky to beat Holloway again. And regardless of the outcome in the Bantamweight fight, they're not running it back. That division has too many stacked-up contenders. Um, unless there's like a draw, which would also be really funny. Um, <laughs> that it, it, it would be it would be genuinely hilarious uh, if there was a draw. But nah, I, they've they've got too much other business to handle at 135. All right. Well, we have one more question regulation, and could it be the last question of the entire tournament? This will be a fun round, but the point for round three goes to. Mr. No Gray Area, Jed Mishu. It is two to one. Now, before we get to the question, on Sunday... On the MMA Fighting Podcast Network, there will also be some video of this as well. The on to the next one, predictions extravaganza for 2022. Some incredible buy or sell questions have come in already from the listeners. Plus, we'll make our muy caliente bold prediction for the year. We'll predict UFC champions at the end of 2022 and much more. But this final question of regulation sort of ties into the bold prediction theme. And Jed, we're going to begin with you here. This could be from the UFC or Bellator or PFL combat sports in general whatever you think the question is what is your bold but not impossible prediction for 2022 you're already riding an incredible high with the juliana pena pick from the end of 2021 i don't know how much further you can ride that horse but i think you're gonna ride it till the till you fall off there how do we top this what's your bold but not impossible prediction for 2022 let me just say that when you cor- when you are the only person in MMA media who correctly pick- predicts the biggest upset in history, uh, you get to ride that forever. For as long <laughs> as I work in this space, I will say that to people, and and I feel I'm entirely justified in doing so. Uh, and so I'm going to stay in a similar vein, not with Juliana Pena. My bold prediction is that by the end of 2022, we will have the UFC's first ever three-division champion. And that champion is going to be none other than the greatest female fighter of all time. Uh, My favorite, you know her, you love her, Valentina Bullet Shevchenko. She's going to go up. She's going to take that title off Pena. I know they're going to do the the rematch. And yet Pena is going to beat Nunes in the rematch because that's how the world works. Once you fall (laughs) off, you don't get back to the top. You're just done. Even if you fall off in the world's most unrealistic 
uh, upset of all time. Pena is going to win the rematch. Then Shevchenko is going to be like, I would like to have a second belt, Dana. Dana is going to be like, sure. And she's going to get it and be like, all right, I got two belts. And Nunez is still nominally the champion at 145. I want it. Let's do it. If you're going to make a three, uh, a three match, Dana, this is the time. We got my two belts against Nunez, the GOAT, whatever. Let's go. First three-division champion ever. That's my prediction. 2022, the first three-division champion ever in UFC history. Maybe MMA history, though. I don't want to say that because it's possible that I'm not thinking of somebody from some other uh, larger promotion. Or even smaller at this point, frankly. <laughs> Three divisions is a lot of divisions to be champion of. AK, what you got, man? I know we're going to get really, really spicy with these predictions later on this week, but what is your bold but not impossible prediction for this year of our Lord 2022? I don't know why for a second there. I thought uh, I thought Chad was going to say like Henry Cejudo is going to come back or something and take the title from uh, Volkanovski or Holloway. And I was like, why? No, so don't do this. Clear. So we're clear, a three division champion. If Suhudo does do that, I think I still get to claim it. I think I still get I mean, to claim you, prediction. You'd get, but you'd I get a, all a quarter of a PTL point behind Chevchenko. Yeah, that's of course, as they have been for many. I will say, as they have been for many years. I've been driving the Chevy truck, man. Goodness, goodness me. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm going to stick with women's MMA. Uh, I think, well, and and here's why. So I think. And I, I always say on shows this isn't going to happen. If we're going bold, let's go bold. I think Bellator and PFL will find a way to do some sort of co-promotion in 2022. I know that's very rare in MMA. It's extremely rare in North American MMA especially. But I think, as we said, the, the landscape of combat sports keeps shifting so much. I, I don't know exactly how the logistics would work out. We need to know where PFL is airing for, for one thing. Uh, obviously, if they somehow end up as part of you know the CBS sports family – then that would grease the wheels and make it a lot easier. But we don't know. Maybe they go back to ESPN. Maybe they end up like uh, Axe TV or some other channel I'm not even thinking of. You know what I mean? Maybe they end up on Twitch. You know, they're, they're, they're going to Twitch stream all their cards. So I don't know how that's going to affect things. But I think they are going to co-promote, and it's all going to be revolving around Kayla Harrison. That's why I'm saying it sticks to – I'm saying it's sort of the topic of women's MMA. She's not a star on the level of a, of, a, of a Ronda Rousey, okay? And she never will be. I know we have to kind of keep making those comparisons just because of her dominance, the judo background. They trained together once upon a time, you know? So there's, there's all those very obvious connections. But they appeal in a very different way, uh, different personalities. Uh, but I think it would be worth a shot. I, I think um, even though I've been saying for the longest time, I do think Kayla Harrison – will end up uh, in the UFC and, you know, fighting Amanda Nunez, that can happen much further down the road. That can happen in 2023, possibly, if Amanda Nunez is still around. But most people say she's going to go to Bellator, and I agree. However, I think that would be a tough loss for PFL. So I think they need to work on some sort of deal, whether it's whether it's under the table or whether it's uh, whether it is sort of, this, sort of this public thing where they say, well, yeah, she's going to do our tournament, and then end the tournament, we're going to send her over to face cyborg or something like that or we're gonna, whatever or we'll send over in, into the to bellator to take a fight against one of your fighters pfl versus bellator it's a very cool idea i think it's something people have wanted to see for a while uh especially for the pfl to be able to take any not just kayla harrison but any of their tournament winners and and wouldn't it be cool to lend their tournament winner out to another promotion to see how they would fare sort of a champion versus champion thing it, it would be a really great way for pfl to cap off its season and also so its fighters wouldn't be inactive for like like four months or whatever, four or six months after the season's over. So optimistically and just throwing it out there and being bold, let me see this co-promotion. Bellator PFL, work it out somehow. I don't know how the money gets split. I don't know how the viewership gets split and all that. 
but there's smarter people in this, uh, you know, behind the scenes than I who can put this sort of thing together. Kayla Harrison is the name that can draw that interest from people that can make this viable. So that's that's my call. We're going to send co-promotion around a Kayla Harrison fight. I love it. Two uh, women's MMA selections for the bold yet not impossible prediction for 2022. With that, the point for round number four goes to The man who's trying to shake up the foundation of MMA as we know it in 2022, Alex Kaylee. It is two to two. Coming through in a big way. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as you probably didn't expect at all, but we are here. It is time for the knockout round. One question will decide it all. Neither of these individuals know what this question is, and they will each have one minute to answer said question. Once that is done... We will turn it over to our judge. And no, it is not E. Casey Lydon. We have brought in a very special guest. And Jed, I'm sure you're worried about this. However, I brought in someone who will be as impartial as possible. In fact, he has never been on the show before in any capacity. And I think he might be here. You may know him from such things as the MMA Hour. You may know him from the MMA fighting social media team. You may know him as the man behind Rick's picks. So let us say hello to our special guest judge, Mr. New York Rick. There he is. Thank you for doing this, sir. How are you? Uh, I can't fantastic. Thank you for having me. Um, it's good to see all your beautiful faces. Wow. Yes. Blessed. Hey, you're screwed. Look blessed. at look at the similarities between me and me and Rick right here. I mean, look mm-hmm. at the look at the vibes we're uh-huh. sharing. That's what you're going for. That's your yeah, that's that's what you, that's your best. I mean, I don't know. I'm not giving you my best. I'm beating you with my like <laughs> C skills today. So. <laughs> well, normally there'd be some sort of coin toss or anything like that, but AK, you coming in as the alternate. While this is a big opportunity for you. You do not get the champion's prerogative. Jed Mishu gets the champion's prerogative because he is uh, he's won all his matchups to get here. You know so what you I get want. the choice, Jed. Do you want to you know give what AK want. what he wants and have him go give first? Or do you want to go first and, and set the table? It works because I don't want to go first. So even though this is giving, you know, in combat, never do what your opponent wants wants you to do. And I'm gonna but I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna let AK go first. I will take second, and then I'll mop up, uh, mop up afterwards, and just crush him. All right. So, AK, we are going to begin with you. Uh, we ended the regulation rounds by talking about 2022 and making predictions, but we're going to go back to 2021, just a couple of weeks, because we had our first ever MMA fighting 2021 award show to recap an incredible year for the sport. I know it's the first 2021, whatever, but this is the first time we did it, but it was for 2021. We had some very close votes for some of these awards. Some agreed, others did not. So my question for you, AK, is, and this is for all the marbles, my friend, what did the panel, the consensus voters from the MMA fighting voting rankings community, what did we get wrong? What award as a whole did we get wrong and why? One minute on the clock. Oh. Your time starts right now. 
This is so easy. Well, listen, the award we got wrong from the beginning because it had a broken premise was MMA Fighting's Rookie of the Year. We, listen, I don't like to give people the inside baseball scoop here. We had a lot of deliberation about what to do with what was formerly the tw- the breakout uh, breakthrough breakout fighter of the year award. Okay, and we had, and there was good reason for it. There was con- confusion about the criteria, so we said, okay, let's make it. Whoever debuts in a major North American promotion, PFL, Bellator, UFC, there you go. There's your rookie. But we lost out on so many good storylines with respect to Casey O'Neill, a great fighter who won the Rookie of the Year award. Chris Curtis was the man that we should have been talking about as breaking through, breaking into the mainstream part of people's minds with respect to the PFL. And even if people watched it, his run with that promotion was less than epic. But this is a guy who's been around forever. We've all, we've all in the media interviewed him. We love this guy. He's, he's retired so many times and came back and is now suddenly a UFC middleweight contender. This deserved its own article. We missed on that one. All right. A.K. Lee in the Kenny Lofton spot gets in scoring position. And now we head over to Jed Mishu. Could this be the culmination of a... Just a long, hard road, Jed Mishu, to get to the undisputed title. Same question for you. One minute on the clock. What did we get wrong on the 2021 MMA Fighting Year End Awards and why? Your time starts now. This is extremely easy. AK is all the way wrong. He's correct in that we kind of botched the whole newbie of the year, rookie of the year. I know it went through a lot of iterations. Yeah, we should have been able to give Chris Curtis more shine. But we didn't get it wrong because that's not what we settled on. We totally got that one right. But you know what we did get wrong? Submission of the year. Look, I'm not here to say that Andre Muniz snapping the arm of Jacare Souza isn't hella impressive. It is. One of the greatest grapplers we've ever seen in the sport. Just one of the greatest grapplers ever getting not just submitted but broken. That is incredibly impressive stuff. But of the year awards aren't just about in-cage things because if so there are a lot cooler knockouts than Kamaru Usman over Jorge Masvidal it is about the totality what it means and what it means when you look back on the year 2021 what is the thing that you think of first and no submission is going to jump over Juliana Pena submitting Amanda Nunes the goat falling even if it's not a good submission is the greatest submission and easily should have won oh boy two harsh minutes Back and forth they went. I got to say, I'm not really surprised by AK's answer. I'm actually a little surprised by Jed's answer. I thought you were going to go a whole different way with this, but uh, I like your I like your response. I thought you were going to say Jake Paul should have been the fighter of the year or something like that, but here we are. I, it was explained to me in no uncertain terms that he did not qualify because I wouldn't have <laughs> voted for him as number one. I, in fact, I made that argument when we were doing the behind the scenes, and I was told flatly that that was not allowed. <laughs> and let me just Fair say, uh, this question was tailor-made for Jed, by the way, because he disagrees with <laughs> everything that the rest of the MMA fighting staff has to say. So, I, so as, as I was, I'm glad, actually, I'm glad I went first still. And then secondly, as, as I was going, I'm like, man, there's so many ways he could go with this. He didn't agree with anything we said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was in on a fighter of the year in KO. Were you? Year. Okay, okay, okay. They were both Jed, Jed? Yes, Jed was a team player. Jed was a team player throughout the voting process, but he's allowed to have his opinions. And if you haven't listened to the actual award show, it's a pretty good behind the scenes, especially with when the group gets together and talks about their picks. But now you've heard the arguments. I didn't realize that. What? I was like, rookie of the year, okay? I also agreed with our choice there. 
Wow, oh, 18 that, players that, this year, buddy. Oh, that it was Casey O'Neill. <laughs> that was who I had. <laughs> oh, that's just, that disappoints me. Oh boy! All right, he's waiting patiently. Judge New York Rick, you've heard the arguments. You've heard one minute from both of these gentlemen. They each answered the same question. Doesn't matter what the rest of the game was like. It was two to two coming into this this knockout round. You have a very tough decision to make. Who is the new undisputed BTL champion? Is it Alexander K. Lee or is it Jed Mishu? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you again uh, for having me on the show. Uh, I want to give a shout out to both these gentlemen who um, argued aggressively and, and with great vigor. Um, a really good effort from both gentlemen. For me, it came down to and I want to say I'm putting my personal selection here aside. I'm basing this specifically on the arguments, um, as as I believe a good judge should. I do not um, count what my vote for either of those categories was. I'm, I'm selecting based on the arguments that have been presented. In the case of A.K. Lee's uh, selection for Rookie of the Year, and in the case of Jed Mishu's uh, selection of Submission of the Year, I thought that both attacked the the uh, rightful winner with with um, vigor and 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 presented very good cases for who they thought should be uh, the win the rightful winners. There was one person I thought attacked the the system. There was one person who I thought attacked the methodology and really got to the heart of the matter and debated whether we were voting properly as opposed to who we voted for. So if I could have a drum roll, I would love, I would love some kind of drum roll for this selection. Your winner is Jed. I thought Jed did a great job attacking the system. Jed Michoud! Has done it. He has done it. The champion. I told you he has I come through. Told you. <laughs> I spoke it into existence. The same with Juliana Pena upsetting Amanda Nunez. I said from the start that I would go straight to the top. And what have I done? Sure, this last step was like a baby step. You know, I caught heaping, heaping ladder steps. And then it was just like, oh, I'm up here over AK instead of what I thought was going to be a huge jump over Phoenix. But I did it. The belt is where it belongs. And Phoenix, I wish you the best. And whenever you're ready, I'll be here. Because I'm always here. I'm never not here because these <laughs> bozos can't get me out of this chair. I'm too damn good at it. Wow. Jed Mishu has gone wire to wire. He is the undisputed BTL champion. We had about 417 champions last year. That's why we put this tournament together. And Jed has come through on the other side. Congratulations. But on the other end, a very uh, unhappy... <laughs> Alexander K. Lee trying to make a Cinderella story come true. It just wasn't meant to be despite an A-plus effort, AK. What, your thoughts on how this all played out and our guest judge's decision here. This tournament was a sham. This show uh, between the links is crap. It's never been good. Um, uh, New York Rick, not a fan. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm really more of a Connor Burks guy if we were going we to go there. Uh, <laughs> I'm a really big fan of his work and uh, New York Rick's I'm glad I'm glad horrible things have started happening to the Cleveland Cavaliers again. They are no going to go nowhere near an NBA championship anytime soon. This is horrible. Mike, this is horrible. You're still my best friend. You know I won't hold this against you. 
This is horrible. This is an atrocity. I am the rightful Between the Links champion. I may never pop in the show again. I'm not going to lie. I, I hate to give an emotional response right away in the moment. I may never appear on the show again. Wow. The Paul Felder of BTL? No, Paul Felder had a winning record. Oh, jeez Louise, dude. <laughs> I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. I'm no, not you back. have to. I mean, Mike, no. I think we got to do AK never, versus New York Rick. We got to do, do Ricky versus Connor. Just really, really mix it up. Let's get some, you oh, know, if, we don't have to if, have everything be a title fight. We can have some of those those money back, the, the, the red panty night matchups. We can do those. Yes. There's, a, there's, there's some new faces here, so we could definitely make some things happen. But AK, incredible effort. I thought this is your best year ever. I thought you actually had a, a great showing in the in the gauntlet episode. I thought you beat Phoenix. I thought you slayed the dragon. And uh, Jed was just too much for you. And uh, it's it, it, I'm sorry. And I hope this isn't the last time we see you. But Jed, congratulations. Uh, hopefully we see that matchup with Phoenix sooner rather than later. New York Rick. Thank you very much, my friend, for, for coming on. Casey, thank you for all the great production. And of course, thank you to the iconic voice of Esther Lynn, who introduces all these episodes just magnificently. So thank you very much. The tournament is over. We have an undisputed champion. Who knows where things are going to go next week and in the future. But hopefully you will join us right here next week on Between the Links for the new champion, Jed Mishu, for AK, for New York Rick, for Casey. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn hopefully takes you home. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on the amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.